Okay, let's pray and ask God to meet us in the word this morning. Lord, I ask for your power to be increased upon us even more because of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And that this wouldn't just be us listening to my words or us looking at words on a page, but that that we would be deeply impacted by the word of God in the scriptures here. That our hearts would be changed. That you would give us faith. You'd give us a big yes to what you're saying in this passage. Lord, you know this passage has been life-changing for Jan and me. And it has shaped this church. And I pray that you would do the work you want to do through it this morning. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for my final three messages here at Mercy Hill, what I want to do is pass on three truths that have really impacted Jan and me over the years. And so last week we talked about faith in Christ, living by faith from Hebrews 11. And this morning I want to talk about Christ-centered community from Hebrews chapter 3. And then next Sunday, Lord willing, talk about Christ-glorifying mission from Romans chapter 1. So this morning, Christ-centered community from Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. So let's go ahead and turn there. And as we always say, if you need a Bible, we want you to have one. The most important words you're going to see here, be in touch with this morning, are the words of the scriptures. And so raise your hand, we'll bring one to you. And uh, in the Bibles we're passing out, it's on page 1002, is where, where Hebrews 3 is. Now, as I, when I taught this passage years ago, and I've taught this passage numerous times here at this church, But what struck me years ago is that lots of Christians uh, think of church kind of like being on a cruise ship to Mazatlan. Okay, so get the picture there. You're on the cruise ship. You're glad you're on board. Okay, you're you're looking forward to your final destination of Mazatlan slash heaven. All right, and you're with all your friends. And in the meantime, you can just kind of lounge at the pool or, you know, nibble on the buffet or you can maybe try some skeet shooting. But the main, main picture there is there's, just, there's nothing crucial at stake, nothing to worry about, no concerns, no dangers. You're, you're on a cruise ship to Mazatlan. And that's how a lot of Christians think of church. The author of Hebrews would completely disagree with that view of church. But he says in this passage, it's more like church is like being part of a search and rescue team in the Sierra Mount, Sierra, you know, mountains, uh, the blazing, I mean, intense blizzard going on. So your search and rescue team, you're in the Sierra Nevada mountains, this intense blizzard, and you're on the search and rescue team with a mission to seek and save lost people. There's lost people out there. Got to go find them. But because of this intense blizzard, there's danger facing you as well. And so as you're traveling through this blizzard, you're shouting out to each other, so make sure nobody wanders off and gets lost, so nobody wanders off and falls off a cliff, or nobody succumbs to the cold. So you're you're shouting to each other, you're making sure, are we all still together here? Because you're facing danger, at the same time as you're on a mission to seek and save the lost. So how do you view church? Do you view it like a cruise ship trip to Mazatlan, nothing serious at stake? Or do you view it like you're being part of a search and rescue team in the Sierras with an intense blizzard and you're on a mission, but that there's risks to the team as well. There's dangers that the team is facing as well. How do you view church? 
Look what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. One of the most powerful passages on fellowship that I've seen in the scriptures. Now notice the first two words in verse 12. Take care. That's a Greek word meaning beware, be on the lookout for. It implies that there's some danger. The author is saying take care regarding those around you. There's some danger your brothers and sisters in Christ are facing. Some danger they're facing. So what is the danger? What danger does he want us to take care, to be aware of, to watch out for? And the author describes it in two different ways. One in verse 12 and one in verse 13. The first is verse 12. Look at what he says. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living and living God. So your, your brothers and sisters face the danger of having an evil, unbelieving heart. This is crucial to understand. So even though they've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, born again, redeemed, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, even though they've been saved, there is still remaining sin in them. All of our sin isn't taken away until heaven. Salvation breaks the power of sin, but there still is sin remaining in us. And sin is dangerous. Sin is, a, is it's like a, a cancer that could metastasize at any time. It's dangerous. And sin has the potential of causing the hearts of your brothers and sisters to become evil and unbelieving. Just to take care. Okay? Evil, unbelieving heart. Now, why is an evil and unbelieving heart so dangerous? Verse 12, it's because if, if their hearts become evil and unbelieving, they could fall away from the living God. Now, just... I want you to feel how serious this would be. He uses that word living to just highlight who God is. We're talking about the living God here. God is not just a word on a page or a thought in somebody's mind. God is alive. Listen, church, there's a God. There is a God. I remember Francis Schaeffer's book I used to, I read years ago. The title just gripped me. The God who is there changes everything. The living God and every human being is either moving towards God through Jesus Christ or falling away from God towards judgment. God is the living God. The most important reality in the universe is God. And if your brothers and sisters, by the sin that is still in them, develop an evil, unbelieving heart, they could be led to fall away from the living God, which would mean no heaven no forgiveness, no salvation. Now, as we've taught before, if that were to happen, of course, that would mean that they were never saved to begin with. Once God saves someone genuinely, he starts a work, so they will continue, not not perfectly, there will be some ups and downs, but they will continue all the way to the end in faith. God will keep them. But still, we don't know. 
Your brothers and sisters, they have sin. You think they're brothers and sisters? They could have that sin develop, an evil, unbelieving heart, which would cause them to fall away from the living God. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying here. So let this sink in. Think about your, your husband, women. Think about your wife, men. Think about your children. Think about your parents. Think about your home group, brothers and sisters. Okay? The danger they face is developing an evil, unbelieving heart which could cause them to fall away from the living God. That's the first danger. Second way he describes this danger is in verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay, so your brothers and sisters could be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay, no, no believer is immune to this. Don't say, you know, oh, this, this one brother in my home group, I mean, he is so strong, that could never happen to him. Not true. It can happen to him. It can happen to anyone. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This could happen to your husband. This could happen to your wife, your kids, your home group people. This could happen to those you're sitting around right here. That's the danger we face. And the reason is because, again, we all still have sin in us, and sin can deceive us. Sin is dangerous. Sin can deceive us. So we think things that aren't true. And the problem with being deceived, you know, is that when you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived, right? Sin can deceive us. So we think, ah, maybe Jesus isn't the only way to God. Ah, prayer's not that important. I don't really need to worry about the word. I can go ahead and sin without any consequences. Or, you know, deception. Deception. I mean, how many of you can think back on somebody that you've known in your years who you thought was tight with the Lord, and then somehow, for some reason, they became completely deceived? Just this last week, reminiscing, thinking about some people, just my heart broke over some of them afresh. It's a danger. And it's crucial that we understand this danger. And, and why is that danger so serious about the deceitfulness from, of sin is that it can, lead, it can lead their hearts to become hardened. Their hearts can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, salvation softens our hearts. Remember when you were saved? It softens our hearts. So we, we love Jesus. We move towards Jesus. We worship Jesus, right? We surrender to Jesus. We bow down before him. S- salvation softens our hearts. Sin can deceive us, so our hearts become hardened. So we're moving away from Jesus. We're worshiping something else besides Jesus. We're not surrendering to Jesus. Sin can deceive us, so our hearts become hardened. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. So those are the two dangers that the author wants us to be pondering. So let this, let's just let this sink in. Do you, do you see this about your brothers and sisters? Now, we don't, we don't see this in kind of a harsh, picky, uptight, judgmental way. Any dangers here? Are you getting deceived? You know, it's, it's not that kind of an attitude. This is with humility and love and brokenness, following Jesus' command to take the, the telephone pole out of your eye, right, so that you can remove the speck out of your brother and sister's eye. So be careful. You can be deceived while you're trying to correct someone else, right? Be humble be loving, be compassionate, be aware of your own sin, but take care. Take care. Be alert to the to the danger that's here. I mean, what, like what if there was a poisonous snake that you knew was in your house? 
who could attack your wife or your husband or your kids? Would you just like, oh, whatever, you know, what's on TV tonight, you know? Mm-hmm. Where is it? Right? Let's find it. There's a danger. Take care. That's, that's what this word implies. Take care. Take care. Okay, so what should we do then? Those are the dangers. What should we do? Now, just I want to pause at this moment because some of you at this point can be, all of a sudden become um, wrongly fearful about sin. It's like, oh no, this is very bad. I'm in trouble, right? And you'd be wrongly fearful if you didn't understand that Jesus Christ (laughs) is powerful. What power did Jesus break on the cross? Sin's power, right? Sin's power. So there's an appropriate kind of fear about this and an inappropriate kind of fear about this. If you're thinking... If, if sin's that powerful, there's nothing I can do to make it to the end. Yes, but Jesus will help you make it to the end. Okay? This is so important. So don't let this passage give you an undue, inappropriate, wrong kind of fear. Jesus broke sin's power. That's the only reason you're saved. You experienced his life-changing, heart-changing, sin-busting, soul-freeing work when you put your trust in him. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon you. Your heart was changed since power was broken. And every time you turn to Jesus, since power will continue to be broken. So don't think, oh, I feel like I'm being deceived here. This is too much for me. Well, you may be, and yes, it's too much for you. Jesus, help me, right? And he always sprints to you when you cry out to him in that way. And he will always set you free from sin's power. Always. So can we, can we find the right combination here of appropriate respect for, maybe call it fear, of the power of sin? I think that's appropriate. But understanding that Jesus Christ, he is the sin destroyer. He broke sin's power on the cross. And he can break sin's power in you, and he can break sin's power in your brother, sister, husband, wife, kids, parents. Right? Yeah, are we all clear on this? Is there anybody else left here with an, un, an inappropriate fear about sin? I want to make sure we've eradicated that before we move on. Okay? You probably wouldn't raise your hand anyway, but all right, just hope not. If you are, let's talk afterwards. So, okay, so there is a sense we need to take, take care Beware, be on the alert. There's a danger. That's right. But understand that Jesus is the sin-destroying Savior. Okay, so what should we do then? He wants us to be alert to this. What should we do? And something I I noticed, I'm not sure I've emphasized from this passage before, is you could think that the author is going to say, so whenever you see sin rising up in a brother or sister's heart, go to them humbly, pray with them, urge them. And that's totally right to do. And many passages teach that. That's not what he's talking about here, though. Here he's talking about something different. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the author is not telling us to talk to, to, to wait until our brothers and sisters show some symptoms of sin and then go and talk to them after they've started to show those symptoms. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about going to them every day and giving them the preventative medicine of your exhortation so that they won't fall into being deceived by sin or having their hearts be hardened by sin. Do you see that? 
Okay, so there are passages that say, if you see sin arising in your brother's heart, your sister's heart, go to them humbly and help them. Lots of passages that teach that. But this passage is teaching preventative medicine. That every day, every day, every day we're supposed to go to them. In fact, notice that phrase, exhort one another every day. We need to do this every day. Because every day our brothers and sisters are battling unbelief. Every day sin is in them. So here's the analogy I thought of. It's kind of like like sin is a disease that, that is still remaining in every saved person. It will be completely eradicated when we enter heaven, but it's still there. And it is in remission right now, okay? It's dormant right now by Christ's power. Praise God. But what keeps it in remission, what keeps it dormant, is the pill of exhortation that you give to each other every day. Okay? Does that illustration work for you? Okay, so you keep giving your brothers and sisters, your husband, your wife, this pill of encouragement, exhortation. Let me tell you about God's faithfulness. Let me tell you about the cross. Oh, he'll forgive you. He'll help you with this. So you're giving that pill of exhortation, encouragement, and that pill will keep the disease of sin dormant. So it won't rise up and deceive. It won't rise up and harden. It'll it'll stay subdued. It'll stay in remission. Your words are that important. And so he says, exhort one another every day. Every day, that sin could rise up and cause deception. Every day, that disease could grow up and cause falling away from the living God. But as we exhort each other day after day, God will use your words to keep that from happening. So think about it like this. Think about your family. Every day, every day, fathers, you should be talking to your children about God's promises. Every day, give them the pill of exhortation, encouragement, love. Here's who Jesus is. He loves you. He's faithful. He's for you today. He's forgiven you through Christ. God's forgiven you through Christ. So fathers, every day, mothers, every day with your children, every day, the pill of here's a promise from God. Here's a verse about God's love. Here's a text message about who Jesus Christ is and what he did. Okay? Husbands with wives, every day. Wives with husbands, every day. Okay? Kids with parents, every day. Kids, okay? Your parents need those pills from you too. And then with your home group people, every day. Now, we can think, well, it's easy in a family because, you know, we're together, all right? Let's work on it in our families. And it is harder in our home groups because we, we're not all under the same roof. And you could think that it's not really possible for us to do today. It was possible for them back then. I mean, they all lived close together. They didn't have a lot of stuff they had to do. They just sat around, you know, whatever they did back then. You know, we're that busy. I'm not sure that's true or not, but we have cars, Right? We have phones, right? We have email. There's lots of ways that we can do this. And this is what God wants. See, God loves us. Jesus loves us. Jesus broke sin's power. Jesus doesn't want anyone falling away. Jesus doesn't want anyone deceived and have their hearts be hardened. And one of the ways that Jesus keeps us going to heaven, one of the ways that God preserves us in our faith so we don't fall away, is by telling the the body of Christ, talk to each other every day about who I am. Encourage each other every day about my promises. It's just like a pill which will keep that disease of sin in remission. It'll keep it dormant. I mean, if you knew that you had a disease or that... 
If you knew that your brother or sister had a disease which would be kept dormant in remission by your speaking the words of who God is to them, would you speak to them every day? The answer is yes. Okay? This is what the author is telling us to do here. So every day we're exhorting each other. Every day. And don't miss what a beautiful picture this is of church life. Church life means being part of a group of people who every day talk to each other about who Jesus is. Every day. Jesus' will for the church is that every person in the body of Christ, every day, would have someone talk to them about who Jesus is. Every day. Is that happening in your home group? Is that happening? Are you part of a group of people who are doing that? That's church life. I love church life. It's described in the New Testament. It has gatherings like this, but it's a community of believers who are here for gatherings like this, and then there are all kinds of connectedness going on Monday, all kinds of connectedness going on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, Friday and Saturday, and Sunday. You got the pill. It will keep their disease of sin in remission. Give it to them every day. Okay? And notice we're to exhort one another day after day as long as it is still called today. Now, what does that mean? Well, he had just been quoting from Psalm 95, which says, Today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. And so he he picks up in that word today, and he says, So today, if you hear his voice, and what he means by as long as it's still called today, is that today is this time before Jesus has come back. This whole time of history, before Christ returns at the, at the second coming, this is the time when you can confess your sins and repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ, and you're in. You're good. You're saved. This is the time. So as long as Jesus hasn't come back yet, we're encouraging each other every day, day after day, as long as it is still called today. So has Jesus come back yet? No. So what are we supposed to do? Exhort each other day after day. Let me try that again. Has Jesus come back yet? No. So what are we supposed to do? Exhort each other day after day. You got the pill. They've got the disease. Your pill will keep that disease of sin in remission. It'll make it stay dormant. Give it to them. Call them. Speak to them. Say, hey, let's meet up at Starbucks tomorrow morning. Say, hon, let's go for a walk. Let's talk about God's promises. Hey, that's what he's calling us to do. Day after day, as long as it's still called today. Now, one last phrase in verse 13. The author says we're to exhort one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What that means is that God will use your words to keep your wife, husband, kids, parents, home group people, God will use your words to keep them from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you see that? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's why we speak to each other. You don't need to be Billy Graham, okay? Tim Keller, Charles Spurgeon, whoever. You know, you. The simplicity of your words. I'm sure you've all experienced this. Just somebody saying simple words like, you know, God, I know, I know it's hard, but God loves you. Boom. This explosion of faith arises in that person's heart. You've experienced that, haven't you? Simple words. God loves you. I know it's hard, but he cares about you. He really does. Explosion of faith will come. So your words are massively important. 
See, God loves every one of us, and he has promised to keep us persevering in faith all the way to the end. Everyone who gets saved will end up in heaven, and one of the means by which he does this is through our words. This isn't just him doing it on his own. He said, I will do that through you. You talk to each other every day. Encourage each other every day. Speak of my faithfulness every day. Go over my promises every day. God will use your words to keep them from being deceived from sin, to keep them from falling away from the living God. So do you see why I talk about the fact that there's lots at stake here when we gather in fellowship? This isn't just a cruise ship to Mazatlan. This is much more like a search and rescue team where there's the danger of the blizzard and we're calling out to each other, John, you there? George, you still, okay? Stay together here, guys. Come on. Okay, watch out for me. Are you guys around? Okay, we're, we're calling out for each other because there's life at stake, eternal life at stake. So let, let this dial up in your mind the importance of fellowship. See, fellowship is not just because you like having friends. Fellowship is because you want your friends to be in heaven. That's why you fellowship. We like having friends. But there's much more going on here than just liking people. There's eternity here. So, see, your time tomorrow morning at Starbucks with a sister in your home group or a brother who's struggling, God could use that time that you invest to keep them from being deceived and falling away from God. Isn't that, isn't that what this passage is saying? I just want to take these passages just as plain as they are. Your connection at Starbucks, your your text message to uh, a woman in your home group, maybe between loads of laundry, just shoot off a quick text message about, God's going to meet you today. He's got plans, good plans for you today. Could set them free from sin's power. Could keep that sin dormant in their hearts. Could not, not let it grow and cause travesty. Your walk with your husband could keep him from being deceived and fall away. Okay, you're leaving a note for your wife with with a promise, with a scripture. Could be the pill that keeps her from being deceived and falling away. Your encouragements to your mom or your dad could keep them from being deceived and falling away. Uh, The verse that you share with your son or your daughter, again, it's the pill could keep them from being deceived and falling away. So, this is what the author of Hebrews and the Holy Spirit through the author of Hebrews is calling us to do. Exhort one another every day. Every day. Every day. Exhort one another. Every day. Okay, now this isn't easy to do. We're busy. Right? We get preoccupied. we got our own worries, our own fears. I know it's really hard for me to think about somebody else when I'm worried about this or that. Okay? And I feel like the author at this point knows that he needs, he needs to give like one more powerful reason just to drive this point home. And notice that word for at the beginning of verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ. So that gives us a reason. So here's another reason. Do this because of the truth of verse 14. So why should we do this? Look at verse 14. For because we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So notice that phrase, share in Christ. That's, that's describing salvation. Salvation means you, you get to share in Jesus Christ. All that he is and all that he promises to do and all that he has done. 
So salvation isn't just signing a card or, or praying a prayer. The moment that you confess your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ, you become a, a, a partaker. You share in Jesus Christ. You start to fellowship with Christ. Right? You're redeemed in Christ. You're adopted into God's family through Christ. You can worship Jesus Christ. You can pour out your soul before Jesus Christ. You can know Jesus Christ. So salvation is coming to share in Christ. And this verse says that we've come to share in Christ. We've come to be saved if we indeed hold our original confidence firm to the end. The Bible teaches two truths that are important to hold together. And through church history, some have tended to emphasize one more than the other or the other more than the one. One truth the Bible teaches that everyone whom God saves will hold fast their confidence firm until the end. Romans 8.28, Philippians 1.6, we've just been studying that recently. Jude 24 and 25, not him who's able to keep you from stumbling. Okay, so many passages teach that when God saves someone, he will keep you holding firm your confidence all the way to the end. There's other passages like this one that teach that to enter heaven, you must hold firm your confidence to the end. Well, which one is true? Both are true. Okay? And one of the ways God keeps you persevering to the end is by giving you warnings that you must persevere to the end. That's how God has set it up. You must and you will. A little parenthesis here. You, you use those different verses depending on the state of your heart. Okay, it's just a little pause, a little rabbit trail. Okay, This is important though. If you're feeling like proud and like I can sin and who, who gives a rip if I sin or not? No, there's no problem. I'm forgiven. I can sin. No problem. You, then you need to read yourself the warnings. If you'll go to heaven, if you hold fast to the end. And that should put the fear of God in you so you turn and say, help me, and then you'll be forgiven and saved and you'll be good to go. And that's what God did. Those of you who maybe are fearful saying, I'm not sure I'm going to make it to the end. I'm so weak. I've sinned so many times. How am I ever going to last all the way to the end? You need to read the verses where God says, I will keep you. I will not let you fall. Nothing's going to pluck you out of my hands. My hand's powerful. Just like we sang in that song this morning. So both truths are crucial. So here's this one truth, one of these verses where we hear, not for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters, those sitting around you, if they don't hold fast their original confidence firm to the end, they won't they won't have become sharers of Christ, which means they won't be saved because they never were saved. So this is a very crucial verse to understand. This verse does not teach that somebody can lose their salvation. It teaches that if somebody doesn't hold their confidence firm to the end, then they never became sharers in Christ. But the warning stands. So let this impact how you see your brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, Your husband this verse says, has come to share in Christ if he holds his original confidence firm until the end. So therefore, the author says, exhort him every day, wives. That's how we should be thinking. Or husbands, your wife has come to share in Christ if she holds her original confidence firm until the end. So therefore, exhort her every day. Encourage her every day so that she will continue. Your children have come to share in Christ if they hold their original confidence firm until the end. So 
Encourage them, exhort them, love them, speak the truth of God's word to them so that they will continue to hold it fast till the end. Your parents, okay, your parents have come to share in Christ if they hold fast their confidence, their original confidence from until the end. So therefore, exhort them every day as long as it's still called today. And your home group people, your brothers, your friends in home group, the women, your sisters in home group, they have come to share in Christ if they hold fast their original confidence from until the end. So exhort them every day. Encourage them every day. Give them the pill of God's word every day. That's what the author is calling us to do. I appreciate how John Piper puts this. He says that we believe in eternal security. The Bible teaches a beautiful truth, the perseverance of the saints. And the Bible also teaches that eternal security is a community effort. God keeps us secure in the faith through our conversations with each other. Community effort. God will use your words your words, your simple words of love, of the truth, of God's promises, of the cross, of his faithfulness, he will use your words to keep the disease of sin in remission in your brother, in your sister, to keep it dormant in your brother, in your sister, to keep it from rising up and deceiving and making them fall away. So eternity is at stake when we gather in our home groups. Our home group should have the the feel of joyful seriousness. Serious joyfulness. Okay? The sweetest joys are the most serious, I think, in Christ. Because eternity is at stake when we gather. Dinner table. Eternity is at stake at your dinner table. Right? Family, love each other. Speak the truth to each other. Let's share God's promises together. Meeting a brother or sister at Starbucks, texting someone, eternity is at stake in these gatherings when we do this. So what questions does this raise? Is this true? Am I, am I, am I faithful with this, to the scriptures here? That's the most important question you should always ask. Is, is this what the Word's teaching? Aaron. Oh, here we go. Oh, sorry. Is there anything that you shouldn't share with your home group that you should keep uh, between you and your spouse or you and your parent or something like that? Is there things that you should keep from your home group? That's a good question. I mean, I'm sure there are probably, but you can share it with your spouse or with somebody else in the home group for sure. So the important thing would be to share it with somebody, right, who loves Jesus and who can help you with it. But also you can share with your home group, I'm really struggling I've done that different times. If, if something's going on in the church that wouldn't be appropriate to share with the whole home group, the details, I'll just share, I'm really struggling tonight. Would you guys pray for me and speak God's word to me? So that's very appropriate to do and can be very powerful. So, Any other thoughts about Aaron's question? That's a good question. Other questions? Joe? Oh, David? I just have a... I was reading in the Bible a while back the other day that didn't Jesus say that it's better that you never have ever heard about salvation than to have it and then throw it away? And just, just say, now I don't want this after you had it for a while. Say, get, sin gets in the way, you get a hard heart, 
What's, can, what's the reference? Anybody th- I can't think of the reference, but I think there is a verse that speaks that. Anybody know it off the top of your head? Let's make sure we got chapter and verse here. I think you're right. Second Peter, dog returning to its vomit. Is it that passage? So, so that's a serious warning, and God gives us that warning because he loves us, and he will use that warning to keep us persevering in the faith. And so that, that's why he, he puts that there. Because nobody who gets saved will not end up in heaven, and one of the reasons is because if we're saved, we will take warnings like that to heart. Okay, thanks. Joe. You, you, you will? Sometimes I do. Good. No, I'm not surprised. I just to make sure I heard that right. Okay. Isn't that community enough? <laughs> <laughs> well, de- debates about theology are not necessarily the pill that will kill the disease of sin, right? So that's one point, right? Because, I mean, you, I, I used to love to debate, and I still can fall into it, because I, I just like trying to be right, you know? And, and that's not, that's, that's, that's like... The disease just like vroom, that started happening. So, um, but no, podcasts aren't enough. They don't know your heart. They don't know your soul. They don't know your life. They're not in community with you. So this is brothers and sisters who who love you, who are laying their lives down for you, uh, who will who will look you in the eye with tears and say, "I may be wrong, but what's going on in your heart, man? We need to talk." So, Andrew. Oh, good. They also would answer Joe's question. Excellent. Since that you would be disobeying this as well, which is uh, in Hebrews, again, yeah, Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Yes. Because of our assurance of faith that we should not uh, let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet each other. Yes. Yes. So not neglecting to meet, not to podcast, but to meet, right? <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Excellent. So that's right. Good. Thank you. So I would I would hope that you would have in your heart, in your family, personally, and is that uh, home group night. You don't say, "Hey, should we go tonight?" That's just something that's in your heart. This is this, these are your people, right? Now things can come up, and you may have to miss. That happens, okay? We're, but that your your default mode is we're going to be there. Or Sunday mornings. It's not like, well, you wake up, arm goes off, should we go this morning, hon? You know, but these are your people. But then also, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there's those everyday conversations going on. I mean, this is, fellowship is so important. God loves us. He cares about us. He's given us the church, as described in the New Testament. Brothers and sisters loving each other, speaking to each other every day about who Jesus is. It's awesome. It's beautiful. Okay, one more question. Sanvi. And then, okay, one more over here then. Let's start with Sanvi. Okay, Josie, go first. Um, I had a question about the, um, the, uh, the part where you said, that, well, not you, but where the Bible, I guess, says that uh, it, you never had the faith in the first place if you fell away that bit. Yes. So if um, if God is going to keep us going to the end, but there are some people who aren't saved, 
yes. as they fell away. But how did those people get enough to fall away in the first place? Because this sort of implies that they had something, but then they lost it. Yeah. So how did they get something to lose if they never had it? Yeah, that's a good question. And there, you, you can be moving towards salvation, interested, wanting to learn more, wanting to hear more. It's kind of a common grace, not a saving grace, but it's a common grace thing. And you can experience that without having been saved and born again. So one, one question then is, well, then how do you know you've been saved? And the way you, that may be a question some of you are struggling with, because this is such a key issue. The way you know you've been saved is because you're looking to Jesus Christ saying, help me. I trust you to help me. Help me, change me, satisfy me. See, that, that's the essence of the Christian life. That's faith. That's saving. And so if you're looking to Jesus in that way saying, help me, I'm looking to you, then you can be assured that you're saved and that God will keep the good work going all the way to the end. But you can be moving towards interesting, learning more. Yeah, I mean, I like the people. And then you can turn away and fall away from that. You're not falling away from salvation. I don't think you can lose your salvation. So... Yeah. I don't know. Well, people can be part of churches who aren't really trusting Jesus yet, and that's what I think is what's being talked about there. So, and then Sandy, one more. Natasha, stolen. Yes. Yes. Maybe maybe Hebrews six might be the passage you're thinking about. But but so just let me clarify, and I think you would agree with this, Natasha. The difference is that they've never looked to Jesus and said, "Help me." Right. That's what they have not done. And see, that's the key. I mean, are you doing that right now? I want to drill deeper. Yeah, yeah. Because it's really important that it, you know that if you are doing that, then you are saved. Okay? You don't need to worry. Okay. And if you're not, then you should worry. Okay. Sanvi? In our lives today. Okay, I'm not sure. Can you break it down for us what that means? Okay, uh, let me give this answer and see if this is what you're asking. So, um, I'm overwhelmed with fear about not getting our packing done. All right, and the root of that is unbelief. It's sin. Okay, so so sin's there. Sin's rising up with power in my heart, and Jesus has broken the power of that sin on the cross. That's the good news. And I need him to apply that work of the cross to my heart now. And he will, if I will call upon him and 
Maybe ask a brother to pray for me. Ask Jan to pray for me. Open up to promises. Pray over the promises. If I will do that, I will experience the Holy Spirit. This is through Jesus, through the cross, the Holy Spirit, strengthening my faith, showing me God's promise, showing me that he's in control, and the fear then will start to diminish. The unbelief will start to diminish. So what Jesus did on the cross then, 2,000 years ago, is applied to us in our lives now when we fight the fight of faith. Now, is that what you're asking? Though? I'm not... Okay. All right. And, and every time you turn to Jesus, no matter how strong the sin is in your heart, he will meet you. He will help you. He loves you. Everything you need is in Christ. Everything you need. Everything your brother needs, your sister needs, husband, wife, kids, parents. Everything that we need is in Christ. Let's just, let's just look to Jesus together here. Okay? And then our faith is strengthened. The disease stays dormant. Faith grows. And he's glorified. Okay, let's stand. I want to pray this over us. Lord, I want to pass this on. This is something that you've stirred in my heart. and I haven't lived it perfectly, but I know it's true. And, and I know that we're, we're living here in, 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 to, to a great extent in our home groups and our families. But I ask for more. I pray that you'd use this message to remind us and to pursue this more so that we would not be complacent or casual or see fellowship as optional but that we would see that eternity is at stake, that we're tired, but I love these people. I'm going to go to home group. I'm going to to lead my family and have there be lots of encouragements at the dinner table. So Lord, strengthen us in this. We need your help and you will give it to us as we ask you. So I pray that you would strengthen this aspect of fellowship in each person here. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are, that you did break sin's power on the cross and that we can turn to you and look to you and cry out to you and you will meet us, you'll meet our brothers and sisters every time. And so we praise you that we have nothing to fear as we look ahead to the future. You are the sin-destroying God and you will keep freeing us from sin at every turn of the road all the way to heaven as we look to you. So we praise you for that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.